0: Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician approved skin protectant, free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who This episode with Dr. Nate Fox, OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist, is a must listen if you are pregnant with twins or just want to learn more about twins. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Hello there, welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 201. Whether you are a new listener or you've listened before, I am so glad that you are spending a bit of your time with me today. In today's episode of the podcast, we have Dr. Nathan Nate Fox. He is an OBGYN maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. He's also a clinical professor at Mount Sinai and a managing partner at Maternal Fetal Medicine Associates and Carnegie Imaging for Women in New York City. Dr. Fox is the creator and host of his own podcast called the Healthful Woman Podcast, and you definitely should check that out. And when not practicing medicine, you can find Nate running, walking his dogs, or embarrassing his wife and four children, including a set of twins, by the way. Now, speaking of twins, this episode is all about twins, and you are going to learn so much in our conversation today, including how common twins are, the different types of twin pregnancies. In general, people think of twins as identical and non-identical. We think of twins in a completely different way, and you're going to learn that in the episode. We'll learn about the important ways prenatal care should change if you have twins, what are some concerns or complications that can occur. We'll talk about the timing of birth for twins as well as the way twins are born vaginally versus cesarean. He has some really insightful information about that. Also, the difference in nutrition for twins. I was surprised about this. I learned something here in this conversation. And I know you're gonna learn a lot in this conversation too. Dr. Fox has a great way of explaining things in a way that makes these topics very clear, easy to understand, tons of useful information. You're gonna enjoy it. Now, before we get into the episode, one of the things that doesn't really change about twins is the type of test you get during pregnancy. And if you're curious about all of the various prenatal tests that should happen during pregnancy, then check out my free guide to prenatal test where I explain what tests are done. I break it down by trimester, explain what it's for, the results, all of that good, great stuff. You can grab this free guide at drnicole Rankins.com forward slash prenatal. Again, that's drnicole Rankins.com forward slash prenatal. All right, let's get into the conversation with Dr. Nate Fox. Thank you, Dr. Fox, for agreeing to come back on the podcast, this time for a solo episode, and I am super excited to have you come back, and today we're going to chat about twins.
1: Love it. Game on. Let's do it.
0: All right. So why don't you start off by telling us a bit about yourself and your work and your family?
1: Yes. So I am a a Midwesterner. I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, which is where I got my pleasant disposition. (laughs) And then I got uh, transplanted out to New York City, which is where I lost it. And, uh, <laughs> no, so I came here for college and I met my wife, we got married young, I went to medical school here in New York, and then my OBGYN residency here in New York City at Mount Sinai. At the same time, my wife was getting her doctorate, her PsyD in school and child and clinical psychology. Mm. And at the same time, this is when I was in med school, we were having our own twins right. who we were born my third year in med school. That was very exciting. And then I went on to do my fellowship in maternal fetal medicine at Cornell, mm-hmm. where we had our third kid. So I had two in medical school. Sorry. Oh, my God. I got that all wrong. I had two in medical school. Uh-huh. See, now it just showing my age. <laughs> then I had one in residency. That was okay. my third. I was a resident. Okay. And my fourth was in fellowship at wow. Cornell. So I like to say we had, you know, as I progressed in my own training about Uh childbirth. We, you know, practice what you preach. So we had uh, (laughs) kids in every stage of my training. And then I've been in practice. Yeah, I've been in practice in New York City. um, Since then, it's a a private group, and that we're not employed by the hospital. But since by the nature of what we do, we deliver our babies at the hospital, and that's at Mount Sinai. Mm -hmm. But our main group is called Maternal Fetal Medicine Associates, which is a very clever name for a bunch of maternal fetal medicine doctors.
0: (laughs) Well, speaking of maternal fetal medicine, why don't you tell us what exactly that means to be a maternal fetal medicine specialist? And then there are other names like perinatologist or high-risk doctor. And I think it kind of confuses people sometimes. So tell us exactly what that means.
1: Yeah, it's intentionally confusing and makes us start sound smarter than we are. But basically, a maternal fetal medicine uh, specialist is someone we do, we go to medical school. Mm -hmm. So we're doctors. And then we do training in in obstetrics and gynecology. So we're trained as obstetricians. You take care of pregnant people and deliver their babies and gynecology. So, you know, that's, you know, well woman exams and gynecologic problems and Mm -hmm. surgery. And then we do an additional, uh, nowadays it's three years of training, uh, what we call a fellowship and that is essentially focused on several things it's focused on care of high risk pregnant women so that could be someone who let's say comes into pregnancy with a high risk condition like let's say she has diabetes or hypertension or she has a history of cancer mm-hmm. whatever it might be or she's you know healthy but develops a condition in pregnancy like preeclampsia or preterm labor or bleeding uh, so that's one facet of the high risk training uh, the second is we do a lot of ultrasound, so we're sort of like the radiologists of pregnancy. So we learn to do a lot of ultrasound. That's predominantly of of the fetus of the baby. Although there is some, you know, maternal anatomy that we look at, you know, the cervix, the ovaries, and whatnot. So we do a lot of that. And then the third aspect is uh, generally research related. So we learn, you know, with research and doing and publishing and reading and teaching, and whatnot. And then when we finish, we have a lot of options. So some of us. Uh, continue to do prenatal care and deliveries. Mm -hmm. uh, And some of us don't. And the ones who don't generally will be doing ultrasounds and consultations and maybe procedures. There are even some maternal fetal medicine doctors who still do general gynecology. I don't personally. Mm. It's few and far between. Uh, A lot of, you know, it's just it's hard to be the master of so many things. Uh, So I would say, you know, in the US, the majority of maternal fetal medicine specialists don't do deliveries or certainly don't do a lot of them. I'm one of the rare birds who still like doing deliveries and staying Mm -hmm. up at night and being a part of that part of the uh, pregnancy journey. Uh, And so that's that's what I do. And yes, it's sometimes called perinatology, not to be confused with neonatology, which is the newborns. Uh, And then high risk, you know, is a kind of a vague term. But yes, people call us that as well. People call me a lot of names, uh, but of the good ones. Uh, maternal fetal medicine or MFM as usually the most precise.
0: Thank you. That was very, a great explanation because I see a lot of people get confused because they think that their MFM doctor is going to be at the delivery. And I'm like, I don't think your doctor knows how to do that anymore. I I
1: have patients all the time say to me, I just want to make sure, because our our practice is actually mixed. We have maternal fetal medicine specialists. We have obstetrician gynecologists. Mm -hmm. We have obstetrician, gynecologists who only do gynecology. Like Mm, we have a whole, you know, there's a lot of us. And sometimes uh, one of the patients will say to me, oh, I just want to make sure that one of the MFMs does my delivery. And I'll be like, I don't think so. Because some of them haven't done a delivery in 30 years and maybe you don't want them doing your delivery. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So yeah, it is, that is, that is a, um, uh, a misconception or misperception. There's actually nothing about the quote-unquote high-risk training, the fellowship in maternal fetal medicine that's really specific to deliveries, Mm -hmm. right? Being good at providing care for someone in labor, deliveries, C-sections, all that stuff is really a function of experience. Mm -hmm. People who do a lot of it tend to be very good at it, and people who do very little of it might be good at it, but might not. And so if you have a maternal fetal medicine doctor who does a lot of it, then yeah, they'll probably be pretty skilled. Or if you have an obstetrician-gynecologist who does a lot of labor and delivery, they'll probably be very skilled. And it's much more so that than the specific designation if they did the fellowship or not.
0: Yes, yep, love it. Great, great information. meaning they are holding themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. In addition to those omega-3 DHAs to support baby's brain development, Ritual also has choline and methylated folate to support baby's neural tube development. And the capsules feature a delayed release design to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. Why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole. Start Ritual or add essential for women prenatal to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole for 25% off. Um, so let's talk about twins. Love so it. So first off, how common are twins?
1: So in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, uh, everybody. Um, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> is it because uh, they're all know,
0: getting it, IVF or what? I mean, is I, it? I don't know. It's okay. in the water.
1: God bless. You know, in the, in the U.S., you know, the typical quoted rate is somewhere between two and three percent of births are twins, and that number would definitely be higher for someone who's having fertility treatments, mm-hmm. uh, it can go up. And that's true if you're having fertility treatments that are sort of lower intervention, like taking sort of medications or injections. In fact, when, you know, like the Octomom and sort of like you hear these stories of someone's pregnant with like, you know, eight babies. right? It's actually not IVF typically. It's yeah. not like an IVF doctor put in eight babies. It's yeah. usually someone got loaded up with hormones and then just went home and got pregnant. And, right. Okay, so that's one risk factor. Having IVF would also increase your risk, particularly if they put in two embryos, but that's actually done a lot less nowadays. That's Mm -hmm. much more uncommon for good reason. It's just using one embryo at a time tends to be a lower risk way to go about it. Mm -hmm. But even one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that if you have IVF, you have an increased risk of identical twins, where mm. it's not two separate embryos, but one embryo, embryo splitting in two. Huh. In nature, that happens about one in three hundred times, right. and that's true in every population on Earth, which is remarkable. Um, like having—that oh, is
0: crazy. Yeah,
1: yeah, identical twins do—they don't run in families. They're not related to age. They're not in certain geographies. Right. It's like about one in three hundred everywhere. But if you have IVF, it's like two to three percent. For whatever reason, mucking around with that embryo makes it more likely to split. So all the risk factors for twins are much more related to having non-identical twins, two separate eggs, two separate sperms. So things like my mother had twins, Mm -hmm. or it's more common as you get older, you see it sometimes in certain populations have a higher concentration of twins, but that tends to be the non-identical twins.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So you talk, people tend to think of twins as identical or non-identical. However, we think about them a very different way. So how do you, um, how do we talk about the different types of twins and specifically like placenta, amnia, all that stuff?
1: Yeah. So it's a really important distinction. Like you said, when, when the babies are born and they become children and adults, We think of twins, again, like you said, the two types, there's identical and non-identical, or the fancy term for that uh, would be monozygotic Mm -hmm. would be the identical. Sometimes they're called maternal twins, which isn't really a medical term, but that's used, versus non-identical or dizygotic or fraternal twins. And the difference between those two is identical twins is one egg plus one sperm, right? Making one little embryo. And then that embryo splits in half. Mm -hmm. And well, not really in half, but whatever, it sort of like replicates. And so then you get two embryos that are identically the same. So identical twins um, will have the same DNA, right, if you look at them. And those are the ones that typically look very much alike. And they can think back and forth each other and all the communication, all that very interesting stuff. Interestingly, they don't have the same fingerprints, which is fascinating uh, how that happens. Yeah, there's there's that fingerprint is something that happens after your DNA is coded in utero. It's very fascinating. Interesting. But that's... And then non-identical or fraternal or dizygotic is basically two eggs and two sperms. They're basically siblings who are come out at the same time, who are mm-hmm. you know, housed in the uterus at the same time, come out at the same time. So that's sort of what you think of them. But in pregnancy, the biggest issue in terms of which types of twins is really whether or not the twins share a placenta or they each get their own placenta. Yep. So identical twins, right, or... I'm going to turn it around. If we see twins with one placenta, Mm -hmm. right? There's only one placenta and there's two twins. Each of them are attached by the umbilical cord to that placenta. They are, by definition, identical, right? They are identical twins. Now, those types of twins usually each have their own water bag, so they're not swimming in the exact same room, but whatever, they share a placenta. Think of it like whether you share a room or whether you share a refrigerator, so the placenta is like the refrigerator. Uh-huh. So they, each share a refri- they, they share a refrigerator, but yeah. they each have their own room. So that's, identi- that's the, what we call monochorionic, uh, which means one placenta. And then we say diamniotic, which means two water bags, or we sometimes call them monodi. Now, if there are two placentas, which is the more common situation, mm-hmm. usually they're not identical, but they can be identical. So you don't know for sure, but either way, it's a lower risk twin pregnancy compared to having one placenta. And if they have two placentas, we call it dichorionic. Mm -hmm. And then they're in two water bags as well. And so we call it diamniotic. And sometimes you hear the term di-di-twins, which sounds very like morbid, but it's D-I, not D-I-E. And it's not D-Y-E, it's D-I like two. Um, So di-di-twins. And again, most of the time they're not identical, particularly if you see that, you know, they have different genitalia, one female, one male, then you'll know that they're not identical. But even if it's the same, um, It's usually not identical, but they can be. I actually have friends who are – everybody knows they're identical twins. These are two guys who look alike, think alike, talk alike. Everything's the exact same. Right. And they say, oh, no, no, we're not identical. I'm like, how the hell are you not identical? like, oh, we have two placentas. I'm like, sorry, bub. Yeah. You know?
0: (laughs) You can still be identical. And so, yeah,
1: in pregnancy – and then the the reason having one placenta makes it even higher is because since they share that refrigerator, there can be an uneven distribution. Like one of them takes too much and the other Mm -hmm. one gets too little – Uh, Whereas if you have two placentas, uh, that does not tend to happen. You can't really get that where one steals from the other because it's separate. And so all twin pregnancies are higher risk for a lot of complications, but there are some that are unique to having one placenta, and those have to be followed even closer than we normally follow twin pregnancies.
0: Love it. That's a very, you, you explain things so well. And I never even thought about how we say die, die. And in our field, we know what that means, but I can understand how patients might hear yeah. that and be like, why are you saying my twins are dying and dying? Yeah. Like, that's crazy, so.
1: It's like a, it's like Seinfeld when he has the joke about um, the restaurant in the airport that's called the terminal restaurant. Yes. <laughs> it's like, that's, yes. like, that's not a place i want to eat no thank so.
0: you yes no thank you no thank you and then i guess the highest risk is if they're in the same sack
1: yeah if they're in the same water bag which is again they'd be they would have to have one placenta and then they have one water bag so that's monochorionic one placenta mono amniotic one water bag or we call them mono mono mm-hmm. um which sounds i don't know like a like a hawaiian dish <laughs> made of pineapple <laughs> and something um But yeah, so that is a very, very high-risk situation because not only do they have the risk of twins and not only do they have some of the risks of sharing one placenta, but since they're in the same water bag, their umbilical cords can tangle around each other because they're sort of swimming around. Fortunately, that kind of twin is quite rare, but it's a big deal to have that twin. Yes, Um, it's scary, Yeah, it's a very high-risk situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about how prenatal care changes when you have twins. What does it look like?
1: So- You know, it should look different. I think that, unfortunately, there are a lot of pregnant women, both in the U.S. and abroad, who, when they have twins and their doctors are taking care of them, they don't really do anything different because they're having twins. And I think most of that is either related to, you know, ignorance that maybe mm-hmm. the doctors don't realize that or sometimes just resources. Some of the stuff isn't available sure. and they're doing their best, right? Sure. They, they know exactly what someone needs, but it just isn't available. But ideally, because, you know, like in our practice, we see from the lowest risk to the highest risk, we see everybody right. and we sort of tailor their visits and what they need and this based on what's going on. So for us, we'll see them as frequently as they need to or as infrequently. So someone with twins, you know, There's so many additional risks that come about. And since someone is literally double pregnant, they have so many more complaints. I don't mean complaints in a bad way, but they have like, you know, my back hurts this, I'm having this. You know, all these things that come up in pregnancy are much more likely to happen in twins. And so they need more frequent visits just to be seen, to ask their questions. There's a lot going on, a lot of things have changed. So essentially the things we worry about with twins is... There's an increased risk of delivering early preterm birth. That's mm-hmm. a big one. I'm sure we'll talk about that. And yeah. then there's an increased risk of how they're going to grow. One or both can sort of not perform well and how they're growing. And then there's also higher risk of diabetes of pregnancy and high blood pressure. And But those are the main ones. And so when we're seeing more people more frequently, there's we have to see the babies more frequently. Right. So there's a lot more in terms of ultrasound measuring the fluid around the baby's measuring the baby's weights, measuring their health. Later in pregnancy, we can't always use the mom's subjective assessment of how are the babies moving because since there's two in there, it's right. hard to always know, oh, the boy's moving, but the girl isn't. Like sure. it's hard. I mean, some people know that and they can figure it out, but most can't. They're right. sort of like, I, they're moving, but I don't really know.
0: Right. right. Um,
1: and so there's that in the screening for preterm birth. And we have to see the mom more frequently, check her blood pressure, see how she's feeling, see how she's doing. So ultimately- you know, for twins, I would say an average and it's different for every practice. Mm -hmm. If you're having one baby for most of the pregnancy, we're seeing you once a month Mm -hmm. until the end. And for twins, most of them we're seeing every two weeks until the end. So that's sort of like a a short way to think about it. It's not exact. You can get away with monthly visits in some of the situations in twins, but it's really a lot. And it's really just visits like with the doctor or the midwife, whoever's seen them, mm-hmm. and the ultrasounds, that tends to be the more the reason they're coming in more frequently. Sure,
0: sure. Okay. Okay. So midwives take care of twins, you think?
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, it's it's midwives can take care of twins, midwives can deliver twins. A lot of it is like we said before with the OBGYN versus the MFM, it's based on um, experience. It's mm-hmm. based on comfort level. And absolutely there's the midwives who take care of twins. I think that most of the midwives aren't going to be doing the ultrasounds in their office sure. and reading them and doing it. maybe maybe there are that you know that do. I don't know, you know, I'm not sure. um, so it's certainly possible. but you know, for my practice, there's the twins who are coming to us for everything, prenatal care delivery, and we do their ultrasounds. Mm-hmm. but A lot of our practice is consultative, where someone else, one of the community doctors, whether it's an OBGYN or a midwife or a combination, is seeing the patients for all their prenatal visits and for their delivery, but we're seeing them, usually it's for a consultation to talk about twins for their ultrasounds, and if anything comes up and they need further consultation. And that's... I would say the more common model for twins in the United States that you have your obstetrician gynecologist Mm -hmm. and or your midwife, Mm -hmm. and then you're seeing somebody for your ultrasounds or for consultation, and that could be maternal fetal medicine specialist. It usually is, uh, but again, sometimes resources are scarce, and sometimes the OBGYN, particularly if they're very experienced, can do a lot of that in their own office. But that's a great question for someone. If you have twins, you have to really ask, like, do I need to be seeing A specialist. How often do you take care of twins? How many do you deliver? And again, it's gonna vary. There's some OBGYNs who are amazing at taking care of twins and Mm -hmm. they take care of a lot of them and they're really good and they don't wanna deliver them and they're great. And so and there's others who do it, you know, once a year. And obviously, like anything, generally you wanna see the person who does it more than does it once a year, unless it's something that only happens once a year, obviously. But twins are common enough. The people who take care of twins take care of twins. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. So you touched upon it briefly, and maybe you can talk a little bit more about how often the complications occur, but you said preterm birth are the things you look out for, growth issues, and then diabetes, maybe preeclampsia, are those sort of the big complications that we worry about?
1: Yeah, I mean, in terms of the most common, um, and I'm going to put cesarean on like as a separate conversation, Uh because A, whether you call cesarean a complication or not is you know, based on your perspective, Mm -hmm. uh, but fine. In terms of like what we traditionally would call complications, so preterm birth defined as delivery under 37 weeks is very common. In fact, if you're carrying one baby, on average, you're going to deliver 39 to 40 weeks, which Mm -hmm. is the week of your due date. 40 Mm -hmm. weeks is your due date. If you're carrying two babies, on average, you're going to deliver 35 to 36 weeks. So that's one month early. So on average, twins deliver at 35 and a half weeks. Now, I
0: didn't realize it was that early.
1: Yeah. Okay. It's, uh, it's it's interesting. That's the national numbers. And actually, uh-huh. we looked at our numbers. We've taken care of over like about 1,300 twins. It's uh-huh. like exactly there, 35 huh. and a half weeks. Okay. And and there's a few things about that. First, it's a month early. Two, if the midpoint is a week and a half premature, the majority of twins are going to be born prematurely. That's a great um, um, Number three, that's the midpoint, which means – Half the babies are born earlier than that. Mm. Now, fortunately, the bulk of the preterm births of twins are between 32 and 37 weeks when generally, not uniformly, but generally the babies do very well, particularly if they have good NICU care. So if I knew that someone's going to deliver 35 and a half weeks, sure, I'd prefer she be pregnant a couple weeks longer, but I'm not sweating so much. I'm like, you know what? These babies may or may not go to the NICU but the the long term prognosis is excellent mm-hmm. and if it's not as good as a baby 37 weeks it's really close right right the right. differences are very slight yeah only about 10% of twins are going to deliver under 32 weeks and that's pretty reassuring you know because it's really the babies under 32 weeks that are more likely to have complications mm-hmm. And particularly under 28 weeks, which is really only like 3 or 4%. It's not a high percentage that are going deliver in that crazy, scary range where you know, you're know, you talking about life or death, they may, right. or, may or may not survive. Right. I mean, it's terrifying, but it's really only 3 to 4 maybe 5%, fortunately, uh, in that group. And so we know this. We know twins deliver early, and so we're on the lookout for it. The problem is, unfortunately, we're much better at telling someone you're at risk to deliver early than we are at preventing them from Mm -hmm. delivering early. We kind of suck at that. Not because we don't try and not because we don't care, but nothing we found seems to work, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, if the body's ready to deliver, it's pretty, like, what are you gonna do? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, think about it almost in a sense, like, if you've ever had that friend or even yourself who's, like, about to throw up, there is nothing you can do to make it stop. (laughs) Nothing. It's coming out, right? You know, close your mouth, close your nose, lie, you know, it's it's happening. And so that's what happens when the body goes into labor. It is, it's vigorous, right? The uterus is really, you know, contracting away. So there are things that sometimes work in this and we do, but ultimately in our practice, we do a lot of Instead of focusing on how do we prevent preterm birth, meaning do we give people medicines to stop contractions? Do we tell them all to go and bed rest? Mm. First of all, none of those things work, so we don't do that. Do but not. either way, we focus a lot on prediction. We we do cervical length screening in our twins, uh, which is somewhat controversial. Not everyone agrees with that. We do fetal fibronectin testing in our twins, which is another, these are two tests that you could do to predict the likelihood of preterm birth, cervical mm-hmm. length and fetal fibronectin. The first one's an ultrasound. The second one is a Q-tip, like vaginal swab. Um, interestingly, we developed a calculator that if you have someone's with twins, you can plug in their gestational age, the length of their cervix, and their FFN, fetal fibronectin results, and it'll pop out, like, what is your risk of delivery before 32 weeks? What's your average gestational age of delivery? It's pretty cool, actually. Huh. Uh, it's on our website, mfmnyc.com backslash twin.
0: Okay. Thank if you. I'm
1: wrong, then it's forward slash. Whichever is the slash you're <laughs> yes. supposed to use online. <laughs> I think it's it's backslash. Slash, yes. backslash yeah. twin. So we do that. And I always tell people, you know, when I'm doing this, I am very unlikely to get you to deliver later than you're going to. But what's interesting is, and this is true for everybody, but mm-hmm. with twins, there's a higher risk of delivering early. If I have two women who are both carrying twins, and let's say both of them are going to show up at 30 weeks of pregnancy and deliver both those twins the same day, right? They're going to break their water, go into labor, deliver the twins. And let's say vaginal birth. forget about C-section. Right. they both can deliver the same day. But one of them, somebody taps me on the shoulder a week in advance and says, she's going to deliver next week. Her babies are going to do better. And the reason her babies are going to do better is that there are medications, treatments we can give before a preterm birth that improve to the mother, that improve outcomes for the babies afterwards. Mm -hmm. Things like steroids, potentially magnesium, potentially antibiotics, depends on the situation. And we're pretty lousy at timing these because a lot of women show up at 30 weeks and deliver, and you don't have enough time to give them because you need about two days. And so when we looked at our own data and compared it to people who don't do these screening tests, like in our practice, when someone delivered under 34 weeks, the likelihood that they did get the steroids before birth mm-hmm. was over 90%. Mm. Whereas we looked at another major medical center that does not do these screening tests and mm-hmm. theirs was about 70% and the national average is about 50%. Mm. And so, yeah, we're doing a lot of testing and screening and people give us crap for that because they say we're overdoing it, we right. fine. But we're pretty good at doing what we need to do. Sure. Uh, and the interesting thing is, you would think, okay, maybe you're just giving it to everybody, and so you'll get your numbers up. If you look at women who deliver at term after 37 weeks, the likelihood they got exposed to steroids was only like 7%, meaning okay. we're also good at predicting who's not going to deliver early. Right. And that that's also very useful. Because if someone's carrying twins and they're Googling that they're at increased risk of preterm birth and they're mm-hmm. seeing a high-risk doctors talking about preterm birth, you know, they're freaking out, right? Sure. This is really worrisome. Yeah. But if they come to the office and I say, hey, your cervix is long – your fetal fibronectin is negative, you're doing great, have a great time, go right. to work, like right. do what you want to do, go play right. tennis, like, you right. know, everything is going well, come back in two weeks, versus the percentage where I really need to tell them, hey, you know, your cervix is short, this, let's, you know, let's put you on watch, let's do this, let's do that. Um, and so it, it ends up working, even though we're doing a lot of screening. So that's, that's how we do it in our practice.
0: Yeah, this is interesting, because like, I think I personally think VBAC calculators are trash, because they don't, help you. They don't change anything. Like you can still try for it. Like you can have a 10% chance of VBAC. And I've seen people that have a successful VBAC. So it doesn't help to me, like really predict the outcome. But in this circumstance, it's different. You actually have people like you're giving beta methadone. I mean, that's part of it. I know from my own personal experience, I mean, I had a singleton, but I happened to get steroids the week before I delivered at 32 weeks and she came out and, you know, she didn't have to get intubated or anything like that. So Um, In this case, you're using the information to try to take the best resources that we have to improve outcomes.
1: Yeah. And for the record, I'm also not a big fan of the VBAC calculators for a lot of reasons. Um, Number one, I don't think they're that much more accurate than just a really good seasoned obstetrician telling you what their best guess is, your chance of delivering vaginally is. And I tell people, yeah, about 50%, about 75%, about 90%. The calculator is not that much better. And number two, it becomes self fulfilling mm-hmm. meaning if you use the calculator and tell someone oh it's 46% right. and then she's like well my friend had 68% so I must be awful I'm right. not going to try right. now it's 0% right. and so and and that's been shown to be true and and it's also been a real issue with you know what went into the calculator mm-hmm. and then they put in like race in there and it was it was a whole disaster right. they had to like redo the calculators right. so I'm not a big fan of that so but for this what I tell women is I liken this to If I'm leaving my house in the morning and I check my weather app and it says it's going to rain, right? I'm not changing whether it's going to rain or not, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to grab an umbrella, right? And that's what's different. And so I think a lot of people are so much focused on you can't change the rain. No, I can't change the rain, but I'm going to definitely want to have an umbrella or wear different shoes or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. And so for the twins, it's the same thing. If I tell someone you're at increased risk, it's not because I'm trying to necessarily, although sometimes there's things we can do that help, but I'm not trying to necessarily prevent the rain from happening. I'm like, all right, if it's going to rain, don't go on that trip to Mexico in two days. (laughs) Or like, you know, like something of that nature that might be helpful. Or you're worried about, can I go to Philadelphia for Thanksgiving? Because that's where my mother is. And I see them on the Tuesday of Thanksgiving and their cervix is long and their fuel fiber is negative. I'm like, listen, I can't promise you anything, but the data shows the chance you're delivering this week is like less than 1%. Sure, sure. That's a lot better than saying, oh, you got twins, you can't go anywhere. And so you try to like, there's this concept called precision medicine. You try to be precise, because if you give everybody the average, you're underselling it for half the people and Mm -hmm. overselling it for the other half. So you try to be as, say, okay, I think you fall here to give them better information about this, but not... Even if you're not going to necessarily change the overall management, you could be prepared for something if you're at risk for it. Yeah,
0: absolutely, love that, love that. And then as far as timing of the, the last question about preterm birth, you, you're, ne- you're like not going to get to your due, quote unquote due date with twins like ever. I don't. <laughs> <So> like- <laughs> the due date is a, a great term. So
1: the due date <laughs> is synonymous with the day you turn forty weeks and mm-hmm. zero days. Yeah, uh, which is actually ironic because. When you're 40 weeks and zero days, you've actually only been pregnant for 38 weeks and zero days Mm -hmm. because for some strange reason, the day you conceive, we call it two weeks and zero days, but we really do that to confuse people. But either way, 40 weeks is your due date and twins usually don't get to 40 weeks, Mm -hmm. but even if you would let them get to 40 weeks, generally, they're going to be recommended to deliver earlier in our practice. For the most uncomplicated twins out there, we generally recommend delivery at 38 weeks. Mm -hmm and then earlier based on what's going on in the pregnancy or they have other issues going on. And the reason is not because the babies will get too big, because twins rarely get too big to Mm -hmm. deliver, but because there's the placenta function tends to decline. And that's true in singletons, but in singletons it usually happens after 39 or 40 weeks. Right. Um, But in twins it starts happening usually 38 weeks or earlier. And so we're very concerned that if someone stays pregnant past 38 weeks to 39 or 40 weeks, that there's gonna be an increased risk of stillbirth um, by waiting. And so the benefit you gain seems to be outweighed by that. Uh, There are those who disagree, but the general recommendation um, is to deliver twins somewhere around that range or earlier. Yep, yep. So yeah, I tell people your due date's May 20th, you're not going to see you know may 10th pregnant like whatever (laughs) it is this is is like the end of the line for you and usually something happens before then anyways to sort of force our hand
0: yeah yeah hey so you made it this far in the episode and i'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast well if that's the case then i have a favorite to ask Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources, from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially, if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team cost and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's DrNicoleRankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the all about pregnancy and birth community. Now back to the show. And so, speaking of delivery, let's talk about vaginal versus c section. What are your thoughts on that? Oh,
1: you've this is like one of my passions. Mm-hmm. So, In the U.S. right now, if you're carrying twins, the likelihood your babies are both going to be born by C-section is probably ballpark 80% Mm. or higher. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the reasons for it is many doctors are uncomfortable, unable, or unwilling to deliver your twins vaginally. Now, if they're unable... God bless them. You don't want them to try, sure. right? So it's, I'm not, this is not, you know, if you're, listen, I'm, I'm not able to do a lot of things. Right. My wife tells me that all the time, <laughs> So you don't want me trying. Like, fine. Right. Everyone has their limitations. Right. But, and the reason is not so much labor and delivery of the first twin, because that's pretty similar to how we labor and delivery a single baby. You're mm-hmm. in labor, you're contracting, we break your water, mm-hmm. you get Pitocin, you don't get Pitocin, we monitor the baby, like all that stuff, you go, you push, head like same thing as everyone else. Right. And in fact, the babies tend to be smaller on average because mm-hmm. they're earlier, they're small. So meaning you don't have a lot of 10-pound twins coming out. It's usually, you know, four, five, six pounds. Big twins are like seven. Right. The issue is twin B, the mm-hmm. second twin, because after twin A comes out, twin B frequently is not head first right? So twin bees either feet first or butt first or Mm -hmm. sideways, or they're head first, but the head is very high up. And you can have a lot of issues. Number one, a lot of providers, doctors, midwives, whoever delivers babies are not comfortable delivering that second twin feet first, what we Mm -hmm. call a breach delivery, Mm -hmm. because very few people deliver single babies breach anymore. That skill has been pretty much lost Mm -hmm. amongst general training of obstetricians, not just in the US, but really around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's, that's a whole other discussion, whether mm-hmm. that's good or bad, but whatever, that's the reality. And so because of that, if the second baby is not at first, they're frequently gonna recommend a C-section. And it's well known that if both your babies start out head first, you're like, oh, great, I'll push out the first, push out the second. That's true, but if you look at the numbers in the US, if your first baby comes out vaginally, there is a 5 to 10% chance your second baby's coming out by C-section. Mm. So sometimes that's called the combined delivery, right. which is a nice name for saying you had a vaginal birth, got all the swelling and tearing, and mm. now you have a C-section. Yes. It's like getting kicked when you're down. <laughs> yes. I call it the vaginal delivery, <laughs> um, which I learned from my mentor Steve Jason <laughs> at Cornell, which is a great term. But it's not great. I mean, listen, it's not, it's not like... going to kill anybody, but it's it's really not what you're looking for, to have a vaginal birth and a C-section. And so that's the US data. Now, if you look at countries which have much more centralized care of twins, Mm -hmm. like France, France Mm -hmm. is sort of the classic, where Mm -hmm. if you have twins... You are going to a perinatal center that takes care of twins and you go to one of the major like that's where you go and that's like national everyone does that okay so these are people who take care of twins deliver twins know what they're doing this is all that they do right the c-section risk for twins overall is probably 40 to 50 percent uh and that's mostly because the first baby is head is not head down Mm -hmm. and the first baby's breech and they don't usually deliver them or there's some complication and the chance that the second baby is going to be born by C-section if the first baby's born vaginally is under 1%. And why is that? Because they're trained to deliver the second baby breech. Mm-hmm. And they're trained if the first baby is head down, but is not what we call engaged, like it's very high up. And if you were to try to deliver head first, it's going to be like 12 hours of pushing, which is, you know, we've been there. It's awful. They go in, they flip the baby and deliver the baby feet first, mm-hmm. called internal podalic version of breach extraction. And so, and they've demonstrated very, very good outcomes. In 2007, there was an article in the Green Journal, which is sort of our society's OBGYN journal, which is right. an editorial by a fellow in Wisconsin. I forgot his name. He was a, I think he was in practice a long, long time. And he wrote, he was writing about delivery of twins. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote, internal podalic version. Uh, is something that nobody in the U.S. is trained to do and is unsafe and shouldn't be done. Mm. And in 2007 was the same year that I signed on with, I signed my contract to work with this MFM group that I joined. And I remember talking to them and they were telling me how they deliver twins. And they were basically describing the French style. They're like, yeah, you know, first twin comes out, then we deliver second twin breach. If it's head first, but it's very high, we flip it and we do it. And I was like, wait a second, like you're doing what this guy says no one's trained to do. And they're like, I don't know what he's talking about. Like we're trained to do it and we do it. And so that was one of my first publications was looking at our twins and the delivery rates and showing that it was very, very similar to the French about a C-section rate overall of maybe 40, 50%. Again, most of which, because either they weren't a good candidate Mm because the baby A was feet first or maybe that multiple prior C-sections. And once the first baby comes out head first, less than 1%. C section rate for the second twin. And that was a very long winded answer to your question. But basically, twins can be delivered vaginally, Mm -hmm. uh, not 100% because it's not safe for everyone, but probably about 50% of twins, more if you're young and healthy. You know, like we also have like a higher risk population in general, right? Let's say 50%. But it really comes down to does your doctor or midwife deliver twins? And so I always tell people, if you don't care how your babies are born and you don't mind having a C-section or you want a C-section, or some people want a C-section for their twins. Sure. God bless them. We'll do sure. it. Then, you know, fine. But if you care and you really want a vaginal delivery, you got to ask early in your pregnancy to your obstetrician, hey, do you deliver twins? Do you deliver them vaginally? Would you deliver the second twin feet first? Do you know how to do this? How many times you do this? And Mm -hmm. they should be open with you. And if they say, yeah, I do this all the time. I was trained. I would do it. You know, great. You're probably in really good hands. And you'll probably have a high chance, as high as possible, of vaginal delivery. But if they say, well, I don't really do it. I'm not so comfortable. I don't know if it's safe. You have two choices. Either you're going to have a Mm C-section or you got to switch practices. And that's, again, it's not always possible. It's not always feasible. It's not like, you know, there's a lot of logistics involved potentially. But you should know up front and this should not be discovered in the middle of labor that's a yeah. bad time to find this out
0: absolutely thank you all such great information it, it kind of makes me sad this is one. i am one of the i will i will do breech extractions of of a second twin um it's not that many of us who who do do that and i feel like it's like a dying skill like if we're we're, we're obstetricians because we have yep more skills like that. These are the things that we are supposed to be able to do. So we should be able to do complex vaginal births. So that's just like my soapbox. And it's also,
1: it's remarkable because it's, well, two things. Number one, it's not that complex, meaning it's doing a breach delivery is easier than doing a vaginal hysterectomy, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) And people trained to do that. It's easier than doing most surgical procedures. It's easier than a lot of things that we already do or people already do. And I agree it, became a lost art but we're we're actually seeing somewhat of a comeback um like in our hospital the rates of breach delivery of the second twin were going up and the reason is there was a concerted effort to teach and learn it so you know as practice i'm in there's people are doing it and so someone's like oh can you show me or can you help me with my twins and then You know, like all things in training, you know, we have this famous thing of see one, do one, teach one, where you first see what it's like, then you Mm -hmm. do it, and then Mm -hmm. you, you know, teach it. Obviously, there's usually more times you have to see it, more times you have to do it, but whatever. there's That's the concept. And so, like, in our own practice, we have doctors who come and join us. Uh, Listen, I, I was not a skilled obstetrician at Breach Delivery, the second twin, when I finished my fellowship and started practice with these guys. And I would have been someone who said, listen, I'm not the person to do your delivery of your twins vaginally because sure. I don't I didn't I don't have those like I'd done a few but I wouldn't feel comfortable but I learned I was trained I did you know I went to x amount of deliveries with my partners and they took me through it step by step and we did it and I got comfortable with it and now I take others through it and mm-hmm. that's how medicine has been taught forever right and it just takes a concerted effort I mean that's really all it is that a lot of the when I give lectures and stuff, a lot of people ask me to talk about twins and delivery of twins. And what I tell them is, if you want to do this, it's not that complicated. Essentially every twin birth should be attended by someone who knows what the hell they're doing and someone who's learning. Right. Always. Right. Whether it's twelve in day or middle of the night, right. have those two people there. And then you will your numbers of people who can do this will swell and it'll snowball. And that's what happens if people care. But if someone doesn't care and says, eh, we'll just do a C-section, mm-hmm. like what's the difference? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, fine, but that's not really good if someone wants a vaginal delivery sure. and it's it's a easier recovery and you don't have major surgery. And so it's, I agree, it's sort of a shame that that fell out of favor, but it, it can come back. And in certain places it is coming back.
0: Okay. Well, that's hopeful. That's hopeful. Yeah. And a couple of last things I wanted to touch on activity level. You mentioned it a little bit earlier with like bed rest doesn't help or anything but do twin women pregnant with twins really have to change their activity level should they be sitting around not doing anything all of that kind of stuff
1: so the the truth is we don't exactly know Mm -hmm. um what is the ideal activity level for someone with twins or frankly for anybody who's Mm -hmm. pregnant um the it's very difficult to study this but I would say that anyone that has attempted to improve outcomes in twins by telling them not to do stuff like to rest, to relax, not to work, not to have sex, you know, whatever it is, it's never worked. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's made things worse. And so, what I tell my patients or someone else, not my patients, twins, I don't restrict your activity. Mm-hmm. Any more so than I would anyone else who's pregnant. Don't do things where you can get hurt. Like sure. don't ski, don't sure. horseback ride, whatever. Right. But that's not related to twins. So I say you can work, you can be active, you can have a sex life. Like whatever it is you would normally do, you can do. If there's something I need you not to do, I will tell you. Like if you have a placenta previa or your right. cervix is died, like whatever. something comes up, I will instruct you what you know, you may not do. But normally the default is do what you'd like. I encourage my twins to exercise Um, obviously there are somewhat more limitations physically because someone carrying twins, A, just is going to be larger than someone Mm -hmm. of equal gestational age. But, you know, if you're 20 weeks with twins, you're sort of like someone who's 16 weeks with a singleton. So, you know, both could exercise, but there's that. And there's also they retain some more water and they tend to be more tired and they have more nausea. I mean, there's some of the symptoms are also greater. It's not just about the, like the girth, the physical size, Mm But if someone's up to it, great. If someone, you know, normally goes to yoga, go to yoga. If you swim, swim. If you jog, jog. I mean, you have to go slower, but fine, go slower. That's okay. And I think it's probably better to do those things than Mm -hmm. to be sedentary. Some people are just exhausted and beat and they just have to sit and put their legs up and God bless, you're carrying twins. I mean, my wife was carrying twins. My wife's five feet tall. She's not a big woman. By the end of pregnancy, it was it was the poor thing. she could barely get out of bed. Sure. Like it was just so it was, it was just, hard yeah. physically, yeah. and so you know a lot of mercy on her. But if you feel up to it, great. On the other hand, I'm a big, big, big proponent of nutrition.
0: Thank you. Pregnancy. That was my last question. What about like, nutrition?
1: I am, I am like all over that. Yeah. It so is, tell us um, about that. Yeah, and I am not. Well, I don't want to say I'm not that way with singleton pregnancies because mm-hmm. it's always good. I'm like for everybody on earth, it's good to have good nutrition. But what I mean that with twins is. If I see someone who's carrying one baby, I almost never comment on their weight gain. Right. Too little, too much, just right. Because right. honestly, it doesn't really matter that much. There are data on it, but it's only in great extremes is it an issue. And ultimately, sure. what are you going to do? Yeah. But for twins, I really encourage them, they have to be gaining weight and they have to eat more to gain weight. Interesting. There's a lot of data to support this, that the twins who gain more weight, particularly in the first half of pregnancy, uh-huh. have much better outcomes in the back end of pregnancy. Huh. They, have, they have bigger babies and they seem to deliver later. Right. And some of that we think is giving a lot of nutrients to the placenta or uh-huh. placentas early. Now, there aren't perfect studies on this. Some of it could be twins who are doing better tend to feel better and eat more. It could be sort of like, you know, cause effect right. versus effect cause, but right. I don't I don't buy that. It's uh, and we've done a bunch of studies on this in our own twins. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, on average, twins generally need to gain a pound a week. Okay, um, and it's hard to do it in the first, you know, two months of pregnancy. Right, fine, give you a break. It's you're thrown up all the time, and okay, but really, when that subsides or gets better, and that means intentional eating. We have all of our twins see a nutritionist. And we do talk about weight gain. We do go over high protein and this and. All those things. The only exception is women who start out a lot heavier probably uh-huh. can gain a little bit less. Okay, but it's way more than they would in a singleton, and gotcha. maybe like the least it's going to be is a pound every two weeks. Okay. Um. So, and we're very, very hyper focused on that, and it does not seem to cause any problems related to diabetes or preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of the weight no matter what they've done tends to right. come off after they deliver cuz a lot of it's just water right. fortunately
0: right yeah that's not something i mean i don't do prenatal care anymore but even when i did prenatal care we I, the nutritional aspect of twins isn't something that i feel like was really emphasized so i think it's really important um that that you mentioned that like going to a nutritionist and the difference in weight gain cuz i agree like for singletons at least like you tell people to get like eat as healthy as you can and yeah some folks are going to gain 40 pounds and some folks you know you know so but you're saying it's just different with twins
1: yeah singletons generally my mantra is like don't focus on your weight don't focus on the scale focus on eating healthy foods Mm -hmm. not being hungry and exercising yeah and in singletons that's the data shows so if you're eating healthy foods you're not hungry and you're gaining too little weight quote unquote fine and if you're gaining too much weight fine. Like you're not supposed to diet when you're pregnant and you're not supposed to force feed yourself again when you're the one baby. But twins, I say, eat healthy foods, exercise. And if you're not gaining weight, eat more healthy foods. Keep eating more. So you have to really be gaining weight. Your body's telling you it needs more when you're carrying twins.
0: All right. All right. So then as we wrap up, what is the most frustrating part of caring for folks with twins and twin pregnancies?
1: The most frustrating part of caring for folks with Mm -hmm. twins? I don't tend to get too frustrated. I I think it's awesome. I really actually get really excited about caring for folks with twins. I think that there's so much it's so fascinating. I love yeah. that the fact that I have twins makes it so interesting mm-hmm. also. It's I would say I guess the most frustrating part, which actually you almost get numb to, is is how little control we have over so much mm-hmm. of this. You know, we can get real philosophical here. That's true in life, mm-hmm. I think. And you sort of have to just accept certain things as realities. Sure. Like someone who's having twins A certain percentage are going to deliver them very early, despite really good patients taking care of themselves, really good health habits, really good eating habits, and they do everything right, and very good doctors and midwives and nurses, Mm -hmm. and everyone's doing everything perfect, perfect. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it just ends really difficult. Yeah. And that is – more, I would say more sad than frustrating. Sure. I think it, it used to be more frustrating, but then you just sort of realize this is kind of how life is as you get yeah. older. <laughs> you, you learn to sort of accept that, you know, we're not driving the bus yeah. usually. So um, but that is tough. And I think that's tough for a lot of people to swallow. And I think also the fact that there are things we don't have great data on, you know, is really frustrating sometimes for patients. Um, like, what do you mean you don't know? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Like, And I tell people, like, yeah. the bad news is I don't know. The good news is nobody else knows either. Right. Like, it's not, right. you know, there's yeah. just things we don't understand yet. Yeah. And hopefully with time we will. Yeah. But that is, you know, that is the waters we navigate through.
0: Absolutely. So then on the flip side, what's the most rewarding part?
1: You know, when I would say probably when either those twins are born or when they come home from the hospital mm-hmm. a lot of twins if they're born early we end up in the NICU a little bit and this yeah. and, you know and I have so many I mean just last week patient ours with twins and she was doing really well and she had like a crazy complication you know water broke then she had a cord prolapse and mm. had an emergency c-section and it, babies are born early and she was doing great like it was, it was like the perfect twin pregnancy right. and just like she got hit by a bus type of thing sure. but then about four weeks later three weeks later when both those kids are home from the hospital and she sends me a picture of both of them and I just know how exciting it is. And yeah. it's like such an adventure having any kids, yeah. you know, and having one. And then we have two. It's like, wow. Yeah. It's, just, it's just awesome. And I'm really – listen, I'm really fortunate um, to be able to do this every day. I tell people all the time. I said, I love my job. Mm-hmm. I work really hard. I work really long hours. I come early. I stay late. I'm on call all the time. I never complain about work because mm-hmm. I love what I do. I say I can. I spend all day here and I'm happy. Yeah, I love my family. I come right. home. I'm happy at home too. Right, but I'm happy at work. Yeah. Whereas if I have to like take one of my kids, you know, shopping for shoes after 20 minutes, I want to hurl myself out a window. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not the hour spent. I'm really fortunate to be able to do what I do and uh, to have people trust me and care about what I think and what yeah. I say is very. Uh, it's humbling, obviously, mm-hmm. and it's it's really cool. Yeah, it is. It we have is a good job. Sure.
0: Yeah, we do, we do, we do. So then what's your favorite piece of advice that you would give to families, to to moms or who are expecting twins? And it can be favorite piece as a parent, favorite yeah. piece as an MFM. What's your favorite piece of advice?
1: <laughs> yeah, I would say as a as an MFM, it would be really early on, make sure you're getting high level care. Mm-hmm. You should be having an ultrasound very early to determine what type of twins you have, one placenta or two. The earlier you are, the more accurate it is. You should be having regular visits. They should be telling you about the difference between twins and singletons, and they should be telling you what are the options for delivery. And if they're doing those things, you're, get, you're probably getting very good care. Mm-hmm. And if they're not doing those things, you should ask why.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: if the answer is they have this dazed look on their face like they don't understand why twins would need anything different from one baby... You probably should look elsewhere. And if they say, Well, I'd love to send you to this person, but you've got to move to another city, then you decide, I might move to another city and get better care. Or I might say, You know, I don't have an option. But really get a lot of that information early. Mm -hmm. Um, Get high level information. Don't just go on Google. You'll get a lot of nonsense out there. Find something reliable, whether that's a good book, there are a lot of good books, whether it's a website, whether it's podcasts like yours like mine whatever it is find good information that's trustworthy and speak to your doctor or midwife very early about what's going to happen and you can usually get a sense very quickly if they're full of it or if they know what they're doing yeah it's not that hard we're yeah. humans we can't we don't hide it very well <laughs> very much so. Uh, as a parent I just just i marvel at how different twins can be there are, these are two kids born to the same parents at uh-huh. the same time in the right. same place eating the same things, doing the same things, you know, one's tall, one's short, one has allergies, one doesn't, one is loud, one is quiet. one right. is It's just unbelievable how much, even though we believe that we can make our kids amazing, mm-hmm. how much nature kicks in right. and just they are who they are. Right. Yes, we can definitely screw up our kids if we try hard enough, but it's just fascinating to see how people develop just differently for... Un- unexplainable yeah, reasons. Yeah,
0: for sure, for sure. So where can people find you and tell us about your podcast?
1: Uh, you can find me roaming the streets of New York City um, <laughs> or my podcast is called Healthful Woman. That's like the word helpful, but health, mm-hmm. uh, one word. Woman in the singular, W-O-M-A-N. Uh, We're everywhere you get podcasts. Wherever you're getting this podcast, I'm sure you can get my podcast. Yep. We have a website, healthfulwoman.com. Uh, we've done a lot of stuff. Uh, by the time this is dropped, you have already been on my podcast, <laughs> uh, which dropped or will drop in February. Uh-huh. I'll say now dropped in February, and uh, yeah, that's how you find me. Um, awesome. I'm easily reachable. All
0: right, and we'll link all that in the show notes. And if anyone is in New York and has twins, what's your practice again? You said
1: we are called Maternal Fetal Medicine Associates, or uh, MFMNYC dot com, like Maternal Fetal Medicine New York City. Dot com.
0: All right. Dr. Fox, thank you so much for coming on. This was incredibly helpful. I so, so appreciate your time.
1: Thank you. I love what you're doing. Thank you for having me. Keep doing God's work
0: there. Wasn't that a great episode? I know I learned a lot, and I'm sure that you did too. Really, really helpful information for those of you who have twins. Now, you know, after every episode, when I have a guest on, I do something called Dr. Nicole's Notes, where I talk about my top takeaways from the conversation. And here are my takeaways for the conversation with Dr. Fox. Number one, I really like how he talked about a more personalized approach to prenatal care and birth and adjusting that for twins if needed, really based on your own unique circumstances, period. We can't do cookie-cutter prenatal care. It really should be something that takes into account your unique circumstances, your health history, your concerns, and adjust your care accordingly. And along those same lines, if that is something that you feel like you are not getting, someone who's not respecting that you're an individual, someone who is not paying attention to your unique needs, then that leads me to point number two, which is get another doctor if you are not getting the care that you need. And the earlier you are able to find this out, the better, okay? If you are not getting the care you need, you definitely want to find someone who is giving you the care that you need. And in the case of twins, you really want to know early on whether you have someone who can support you with the things that are important to you. Those questions, especially around the method or of birth are going to be really crucial if you strongly desire vaginal birth. Now, maybe vaginal versus cesarean isn't a big deal for you, totally fine. But if it's something that is important for you, then again, you need to find someone who can provide that for you. And that applies not just to twins, but to everyone having a baby. Okay. My next point is the point that experience can make a difference. Now, this doesn't mean that someone who doesn't have experience in birth or someone who doesn't have experience in twins can't provide great care, but experience matters. I know from my own experience, I am a much better obstetrician now than I was at the beginning of my career. Not that I was bad at the beginning of my career, but experience, especially in something that requires you to do something physically It is going to make a difference and experience in taking care of twins as he demonstrated can make a difference. Now, again, that is not to say that people who don't have experience can't take great care of you because it is certainly possible. And we all have to learn at some point. Ideally, what you want is if someone is not as experienced, that they have access to someone who is more experienced to help them and guide them. Also on the flip side, sometimes people with experience get set in their ways. So you just don't want experience. You really want someone who has experience but with a learner's mind, meaning they that they are still learning new things. They are open to change. They are open to adapt their practice if need be. So pay attention to experience, but also you want someone with with experience who has an open mind. And if you don't have someone who has a lot of experience, you want to know that they have access to help if they, they need to. They have access to people who can provide that experience if necessary. And then the final thing I want to say is you can't change outcomes. I love his analogy about the weather. You check the weather on the way out the door. If there's going to be rain, you grab an umbrella. You can't change whether or not it's going to rain, but you can be prepared for the rain. And that is exactly what childbirth education can do. It can be that umbrella for you. Birth is unpredictable, it cannot be predicted. Anyone who says that they can predict exactly what happens with birth cannot do it. If they predict the right thing, it's because they're lucky, not because they could do it, all right? Birth is unpredictable, and the way to manage that unpredictability is to be prepared. Prepare for the possible things that may occur. You check the weather, which is the climate of your labor and delivery, the climate of the type of practice that you're in, and you bring that umbrella, childbirth education, to be prepared for that, all right? That's what great childbirth education will do. It will will be your umbrella in the event that there is some rain. Hopefully you won't need to use all of it, but if you do, you have it and it's there. Of course, I have a great option, the birth preparation course. That is my online childbirth education class. that gets you calm, confident, and empowered, especially for a hospital birth. You can check out all the details of the birth preparation course at drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. All right, so there you have it. Do me a solid share this podcast with a friend. Sharing is caring, helps me to reach and serve more pregnant folks. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening to me right now. It helps the show to grow. Leave a review in Apple Podcasts, or better yet, shoot me a DM on Instagram. I love to hear what you think about the show. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Nicole Rankins. All of the comments and warm fuzzies that I get about how people have found the podcast, my course, or other the resources helpful, just really warm my heart and help me to keep going on those days when sometimes it gets a little bit exhausting. So check me out on Instagram. I also post great information there too, at Dr. Nicole Rankins. So that is it for this episode. Do come on back next week and remember that you deserve a beautiful pregnancy and birth.